Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast that showcases my writing work in the horror, paranormal, supernatural, and southern gothic genres. This is episode 67 of Haunted Muse, and it features the latest installment of my first novel, Looking Glass Theory. So, here we go. Looking Glass Theory, Chapter 18. Back upstairs, after Nora and Julia set up the recorder and positioned Julia's iPhone on the music stand with a clear view of the mirror, they still had an hour or so to kill before the appointed time of Jasper's appearance. To Nora's surprise, Julia offered her a drink. She had supposed that her mother-in-law did not drink at all, given the super-devout persona that she portrayed. However, once the fact was established, Julia's preferred choice of cocktail was no shock at all vodka martini, extra dry. Or rather, as Nora noticed while Julia shook them up, just chilled vodka, no vermouth, and a clean lemon twist. While they were sipping, Nora told Julia everything that she had learned so far about the spirits who live beyond the mirrors. So let me see if I have this correct, Julia said, swirling the last few drops of vodka in her glass swiftly around the lemon like a tiny hurricane. How a spirit reacts to an external stimulus seems to depend on two factors. The level of clairvoyance of the spirit itself and its connection to whomever is attempting to initiate an interaction. Almost, replied Nora, taking her first sip of the vodka. It was cold and bitter as a January morning. She swallowed it slowly, bit by bit. Not pleasant. It seems to work best if the individual contacting the spirit is also clairvoyant as well. And you perceive yourself to be clairvoyant, Eleanor? Is that why this Mr. Hostler reached out to you, do you think? That the two of you have some sort of psychic connection? Nora flushed. Not until recently. I mean, I'd had the everyday experiences of thinking about someone and then the phone would ring. And I've always thought of myself as lucky, but beyond that, nothing truly significant. As for a connection with Mr. Hostler, I'd never heard of him in my life before I took that ghost tour in Wilmington, and then afterward, Hazel told me the rest of his story. Well, perhaps it was in some sort of other life, Julia said wryly, raising an eyebrow as she leaned down to drain her second lemon vodka out of the shaker. Hopefully, you'll have the same level of connection with my son. Ignoring her insinuation, Nora checked the clock on her phone. It's almost time. Needing no further prompting, Julia hastily settled into the other chair. They both sat side by side, staring into their perfectly normal reflections in the enormous mirror. For the first time, Nora noticed how similar they were. Same color eyes, hair, height, and face shape. They even held their glasses the same. The main thing that was truly different was, in looking at Julia, Nora felt as if she were viewing her own death mask many years into the future. Nora's thoughts were interrupted by the now-familiar clouding around the edge of the mirror. As their image blurred away, Nora could see the shadow forms of the control room in Jasper's old studio beginning to take shape. Nora realized that, given their viewpoint over Jasper's shoulder and into the sound booth, they were looking out of the mirror on the wall behind him. 
Jasper had his noise-canceling headphones on and seemed to be working with controls on the board. As the figures became clearer, Nora could make out who was in the sound booth. Buddy Conway? Nora whispered to herself. Who? asked Julia, leaning forward for a closer look. He's a singer. I saw a banner outside ASCAP for his recent number one hit today. Took a picture with my phone. I think he's singing... But Nora didn't have to think. As they watched, Buddy Conway began to croon the opening lyrics of Lonely People. Walking down the wrong Broadway I'm just trying to find my way back home. Nora gasped. It is the song. My song. Ours. She pointed at the mirror, tipping the rest of her drink onto the floor. Jasper wrote that for me. I... Quiet, Julia hissed. Another man with a long, chest-length hipster beard and a red and black flannel shirt entered the room from the right-hand side. His back was to Nora so that she could not see his face. He leaned in and motioned cut to Jasper, gesturing toward the phone and then to Buddy, who nodded and hit the intercom button. Hey, Buddy, you've got a call. Why don't you take ten and we'll come back and do it again? Buddy looked more disturbed than Nora thought he'd be at getting cut off mid-croon. He seemed as if he were really into the lyrics, which was unusual, since he hadn't written them. Regardless, Buddy took off his headphones and exited the booth. Although it was unintelligible what Jasper said to the bearded man, it was clear that he intended to take a break as well. As they spoke, Jasper smiled the warm, genuine smile that had always made Nora weak. After exchanging a three-pat bro-hug with the man, who sat down in his engineer's chair and twisted casually back and forth, Jasper left the room. This! Julia grabbed Nora's arm, sloshing half of her remaining vodka onto the floor. Watch this carefully. Nora jumped back, and Julia moved over to the table where they'd set up the recorder. Get ready. This is the crucial moment. Just as Julia spoke, the bearded man his face still in silhouette in the darkened studio, rose to peer out of the small, arrow-slit window of the studio's sound booth. Seeing no one, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a folded piece of paper. Although it looked like a headache powder, Nora knew that it was not, as the man poured its contents into Jasper's glass, which was filled with what looked like a thick protein smoothie. Picking up a pencil lying on the desk, the man stirred its contents vigorously, then slipped the pencil back into the pocket of his jeans. Although she still couldn't see his face, the light from the side window had fallen just right so that Nora could recognize the tattoos on his arms. It was Tommy Ponder, Jasper's manager. Nora turned quickly to alert Julia, but Jasper's mother waved her silent and stood with her right hand on the play button of the recorder. When he comes back, I'll start this she whispered loudly. If he doesn't respond, be ready for my signal to do anything you can to try to get his attention. Jasper re-entered the room, and the bearded man rose to leave. He and Jasper shook hands, and the man left through the same side door. Nora heard a loud click as Julia pressed the button on the recorder. Jubal Chandler's jovial baritone filled the room. After a few seconds, Jasper rose, cocking his head to the side inquisitively. 
While the recording continued, he paced around the room, even opening the interior door and peering into the sound booth. It's working, Julia hissed. Say something, anything. Nora called out the only thing she could think of to say. Jasper, Jasper, it's me, Nora, can you hear me? For a second, he seemed to. Walking toward the mirror, he put his hand on the surface. Instinctively, Nora rose to meet him. No! screamed Julia, rushing forward maniacally past Nora. That's my boy! She hurled herself toward the mirror and hit it in full stride, bouncing back, stunned from her impact with the surface and sitting down hard on the floor. Jasper, on the other side, stepped back and looked strangely into the surface of the mirror. Nora continued forward, calling his name. However, it was of no avail. Jasper shrugged and settled back down at the console. Nora watched as if in horrific slow motion as Jasper reached to drink from the glass. Apparently, Julia was watching it too, but she was quicker to react than Nora. No! she screamed. No! And with that, Julia hurled herself once again toward the mirror. She hit it with the sharp edge of her shoulder, shattering it into a million pieces. Nora had just enough time to fall to the floor as she was showered with broken glass. Moments later, Nora crawled over to Julia, who lay bleeding profusely on the floor. A large piece of broken glass jutted out of her throat. Nora had seen enough horror movies to know not to remove it, but instead sprang as quickly as her spongy legs would allow to hit stop on the video recorder. Then she called an ambulance. It was no use. Julia Chandler died on the way to Vanderbilt Hospital. Nora rode the rest of the way in the ambulance with Julia's body and completed all the attendant paperwork. Not knowing what else to do or where to go, she started walking in the general direction of the riverfront. By the time Nora reached it, it was daybreak. Nora stayed down by the riverfront for several hours. She strolled aimlessly past Fort Nashboro and saw a homeless man sleeping on a piece of cardboard under a dog trot. Mama tried was inscribed in green tattoo ink across his back. As she rustled about in her purse for a few dollars, the man awakened, saw her, and fled. Nora put the dollars back in her pocket. As soon as she saw the clock on her phone click over to 9 a.m., Nora called her attorney Cliff with the bad news. He took it as all attorneys did, with professional courtesy, somehow inexplicably short of sympathy. He said he was sorry for not replying to her text the day before and asked her when she would be available to come in, and she said an hour. Cleaning up her dripping mascara in the bathroom of a nondescript tourist bar, Nora mentally prepared herself for how to explain what had happened to Julia. Nora knew that the Chandlers had no other close family and someone would need to make arrangements. I wouldn't feel bad, said Cliff, sitting down on the edge of his desk close to Nora a couple of hours later. Everyone knew Julia Chandler was crazy. We just didn't know she was crazy enough to kill herself. Cliff's meaty hand rested paternally on Nora's shoulder. Sorry you had to be the one to see it. Harry paused for a moment. Still, it creates a few more loose ends to tidy up for us. You know that she left all the property, intellectual and physical, of Jubal Chandler Music Ministries to you, right? Nora nodded. Yes, she told me. She twisted the piece of napkin that she'd brought with her 
from the bar in her hands. Well, we can wait until you're a bit more composed for that, Cliff said. Estates always have plenty of time. Our truly urgent mission at the present is preparing Pierce for his arraignment. We have less than 24 hours now before he has to appear in court, and we have at least four hours worth of driving back to Asheville to decide what we're going to tell him to say, because from the way you've described him, here, Cliff settled down in the chair next to Nora. Pierce isn't exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer. Nora half smiled at Cliff's shade toward Pierce. He half smiled back, the kind of smile that said, I hope you're okay, but I know you're not. Regardless, it gave Nora the strength that she needed to ask her next question. Cliff, I know this is really out of left field considering everything, but... Do you know a kid artist named Buddy Conway? Cliff bristled slightly at the change of subject. Know him? I represent him, yes. Why? It's a long story, said Nora. I'll tell you in the car on the way to Asheville. By the time they'd passed Mon Eagle, Tennessee, Nora had told Cliff the whole story of what she'd seen in the mirror, hoping for advice. Nothing surprises me in this world. But you know, no jury in America will ever believe any of that, right? It's too far-fetched. To convict a man of murder based on some vision that the victim's wife thinks she saw in a mirror? You think you're crazy. Plus, getting involved would create a conflict of interest for me, to represent both you in the matter of Jasper's estate and the counterclaims which will inevitably be brought by Tommy Ponder and Buddy Conway. I represent them separately on the new material that was released after Jasper's death, as well as his whole catalog from before. Tommy controls the copyrights on that. Jasper left you the cash he had on hand, but Tommy, the future royalties. If you try to bring charges against Tommy, it'll look like you're just trying to get him put in jail so you can have all of it. Best thing to do? Just let it drop. Take the money from Jewel Chandler Music Ministries and walk away. That should be more than enough for multiple lifetimes. Any of the rest of it won't bring Jasper back. You know that. I know, Nora insisted, but it's not about the money. It's about the principle of the thing. I just hate knowing that Tommy killed him. And he's out there now benefiting from Jasper's work. There has to be something I can do. Let me stop you right there, Cliff said his tone growing cold and precise. It's that phrase, the principle of the thing. Way back years ago, when I was in law school, I remember the dean telling us in our first day assembly, the last thing you ever want is a client who comes in and says whatever legal action they want to start isn't about the money, but the principle of the thing. It's a red flag that your client is crazy and irrational. Now, do you want me to dismiss you as a client, Nora? Because you're crazy and irrational? After what you've told me today, I have perfect grounds to request that you be psychologically evaluated and to put all the funds that you stand to receive from Julia's estate into a conservatorship controlled by me because grief has made you delusional, even accusing a trusted friend of Jasper's murder. I'd have to give you an allowance every month and restrict your access to the rest, just like Britney Spears, for the rest of your life. Is that what you want, Nora? For someone else to be in control of your life? Because that's where we're headed, 
If you pursue this matter, think very carefully before you answer. Nora did think for quite a while. She was glad she was driving the car. It helped to steady her nerves and temper her anger. She thought about all she'd gone through, helping Jasper get sober enough to work again, and what Julia had told her about similar struggles with Jubal. Then, about how Cliff had always been so patronizing to her, both before and after Jasper's death. How long had he known, she thought. Could he have even been involved? Nora's mind reeled as she considered the possibilities of what the man sitting beside her in the car, a man whom she'd trusted for years, might be capable of. Even now, he was trying to mansplain his way out of the entire situation. This was a trap, Nora thought. She could see it now. Carefully crafted to leave her and Julia with no way out other than to allow Tommy Ponder to get away with killing Jasper and using his work to help other, more stable artists with less baggage to build careers that would, in turn, add to his fortune. Even if she and Julia had been able to come up with additional, more traditional evidence regarding Jasper's murder, the plan had always been to have them declared insane and the money taken if they went forward to the police. That must have been why Julia had really called her in the first place. To have another witness would have made her seem less crazy. Yet whatever Julia had already endured over the years had wrecked her too completely, even to allow herself to find an ally in Nora. All things considered, Nora knew what she wanted to do, and that was not to end up like Julia. There was only one path forward that would ensure that didn't happen. No, Cliff, Nora said softly at last. I don't think I want that. If you'll just finish out whatever needs to be done for me to inherit from Chandler Music as Julia wanted, I'm not going to pursue anything about the rights to Jasper's catalog or what happened to him because of Tommy. Cliff grinned tight-lipped smile of finality as he breathed a sigh of relief. Good girl. I'm glad you're willing to listen to reason. It's always better to let sleeping dogs lie. Otherwise, they wake up pissed off and bite you right in the ass. He slapped both his hands down on the chubby thighs of his expensive suit. Now, on to this other thing about Pierce. But Cliff's attempt at changing the subject was interrupted as Nora's phone rang. This time, it was Hazel. Nora, you have to get back to Asheville as quickly as possible. Something's happened. What else is new? replied Nora, checking her bloodshot eyes in the rearview mirror. It seems like everything that can go wrong has at this point. Well, I'm sorry, but there's a bit more, Hazel said. Callista has gone through the mirror. This is the end of Chapter 18 of Looking Glass Theory. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Looking Glass Theory here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until then, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you.